Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This episode is episode 304, and we're talking about how to see Berlin in a day. And uh, how to see Berlin in a day is sponsored by Context Travel. Context is a tour company with a difference. All of their docents are highly educated specialists who are passionate about their topic. Group sizes are limited to six people, so you get a personalized experience. At Context, they're passionate about deep travel, really getting into a destination. It's the idea that travel is immersive, transformative, and building cultural bridges that change both people and places for the better. So what have we been up to for the last couple of weeks since our last podcast? Well, uh, we last left you in Berlin, didn't we? Yeah, we were in Berlin. So it's quite appropriate that this episode is about Berlin. However, we are not in Berlin now, we're in Prague. That's right. It's just a five-hour coach trip between Berlin and Prague, so it seemed like a perfect place to hop down to. And not the least because we got to stay and hang out with Charlie from J-Way Travel, who I traveled to the Baltics with earlier this year. Yeah, I was a bit worried about staying with him because I've only met him once, and that was at, was at T-Bex, wasn't it? Mm. So Craig had already organized to go away with him, and I was a bit bitter about not being able to go because I was studying. So I met him, and I was, I was friendly for about three seconds, and I was like, so you're stealing my husband. <laughs> yeah, you weren't very nice. No, I wasn't, and I, I realized that later, late at night, meditating about what a cow I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of other people that wanted to see us over the last week as well, so you can't be too bad. Uh, we caught up with some friends from Finland. Uh, we saw James from Nomadic Notes, our Chilean friend who lives here, Moroni, and also Janine, who will be traveling with quite a bit this year, and Clotilde, who we met on the uh, Camino de Santiago last month. Yeah, we've been doing so much. We, we kind of had the plan to come to Prague and do a couple of context tours and get a lot of work done. So we, we did manage to get some work done, but we were out every single day meeting people or doing things. We went to an Eat With event and learned how to make pasta and ate ceviche and panna cotta and delicious things with other people. We went to um, an outdoor movie and saw a ridiculously bad movie. Oh, my goodness, it was so bad. <laughs> but it was a really good experience, so that was fun. Uh, we also did a couple of context tours here, one on the theme of Charles IV and how he just completely impacted the structure of the city, both socially and visually. And then keeping with that visual theme, uh, we did a Art Nouveau tour, looking at Art Nouveau, Art Deco, Cubism, in the architecture of Prague. I really enjoyed both of them. Yeah. But Art Nouveau is one of my favorite uh, 20th century styles, so I'm excited about going to see the Slav epic later on today. Yeah, I think that's one of the good things about Context is that they, they have some very specialized tours, so if you have an interest, you can you can really follow it up. Yeah. Well, today or this week has also all been about the food. Shall we talk about that at the end? Yeah, probably a good idea because otherwise we'll be talking for about 15 minutes. <laughs> During this podcast, you're going to hear a couple of sound bites. One is Rasmus from Context, talking about the Jewish Holocaust Memorial and also the Roman Sinti Memorial. We'll talk a little bit about the Roman Sinti Memorial, but one thing I really liked about it was this kind of background music that you can hear. So I've got a little bit of that in there as well. We've also got uh, some accordion music from the beer festival that we went to in central Berlin, a one-mile-long beer festival. Yeah, it was great. We met up with all sorts of cool people, like our friend Frankie, Adam from Travels of Adam, and our ex-housemate Javier from Spain. So let's listen to that now.
since we started traveling, Berlin has been at the top of our list. But unfortunately, we didn't manage to get there until our second visit to Europe. And do you know why that was? It was because of Craig. I remember we were sitting on the flight on our way to Perth. We'd been in Europe for, what, two and a half years? Suddenly I punched him on the arm, and he was understandably quite unimpressed at this. And then he said, well, what was that for? And I said, we never got to Berlin. And he, he had to admit guilt because I think I'd asked you, I think I'd recommended that we go to Berlin every couple of months for the whole two and a half years we were there. And you always said, oh, no, but we can always go to Berlin. And yes, it's true. Berlin is very easy to get to. I mean, it's a hub for budget flights and you can go there by train or by bus or by car. It's easy. But we never did. Yeah, sitting there on that flight just hoping that Linda wouldn't realize. And uh, as soon as she said, I was like, oh, no. Yeah, no. caught. You're caught. Absolutely. But since then, we've been back several times, uh, occasionally just short hops in for conferences or trade shows, but also uh, a significant amount of time living there and spending time with friends and acting the tourist. Yeah, the first time we went, we stayed with a friend of ours called Frankie. Uh, we met her on a trip through Vietnam no, it was Thailand and Laos, I yeah. think. And so we stayed with her. And from the moment we arrived, Craig was saying, I want to come back. I've got to come back. So I felt good for, you know, encouraging us to go in the first place. But yeah, then we went back another time and then we stayed for three months. So that was really brilliant. Our friends are always very unsurprised when we say we're, we're coming back. Our friend Holger, when we sent an email this year to say, oh, hi guys, you know, we're coming back. His response was just, they always come back. <laughs> And not everyone has that amount of time. So in today's podcast, we're looking at what to do with just one day in Berlin. Yeah, we were at a wedding recently, and I was talking to a girl who actually lives in, in Germany. She tries to travel every weekend, and I asked her if she'd ever been to Berlin. She said, oh, no, I just can't. I don't, I don't think I have time. You know, I'd only be able to go for a weekend. She said, is it worth going for a weekend? And I think, yes. So even if you only have a weekend, even if you only have one day, you can still see a lot of Berlin. There's obviously a lot more to do, but we're going to be condensing uh, this one-day itinerary down into some of the things that are most important in today's Berlin. Uh, so we'll be looking a little bit at historical and cultural buildings and uh, monuments, as well as some of the great typical street food of Berlin, and then uh, what to get up to in the evening if you've got any energy left at all. You, you might do as possible. I never do. No, you don't. We, we usually end up uh, hanging out in beer gardens or in parks, just uh, relaxing. And that's, that's actually one of our options that we're going to talk to you about later on. Well, let's reverse back. We've got up in the morning and found some breakfast and we're heading out the door. Where are we going to start? Well, you've got to start in the centre of Berlin. A good place to start is actually at the Brandenburg Gate, which is one of the main symbols of Berlin. And uh, you can actually walk through the gate, follow the road around, and you'll get to the Reichstag which is the, the Parliament building. So the Reichstag is a wonderful building to, to visit. It's, it's gorgeous, and it was recently rebuilt. It was burnt down, I think it was just before the Second World War. Sources seem to indicate that it was at Hitler's instigation. Now you can actually visit it yourself, but you're best to book your tickets online in advance because it's quite hard to get tickets. It's free, but you, you, know, you have to get your tickets. One of my favorite bits about it is the glass ceiling that is over the top of the entire uh, kind of sitting parliament. And you can get up and, and walk on top and look down at the, the politicians far below. Yeah, they say that they, they want to be watched over. And that's, I think that's quite a nice, a nice idea. Well, I'm not sure if they want to be watched over, but the, uh, the architect who redesigned it thought it was a pretty good idea. 
So from there, you can visit several Holocaust memorials. You've probably seen pictures of the Jewish Holocaust Memorial, which is an amazing big space with lots of rectangular gray blocks. It's an amazing place to go and totally worth visiting. But it isn't actually the only Holocaust Memorial in Berlin. People think of the Holocaust and they think, okay, so that was when the Jews were murdered. But also uh, political dissidents, people who disagreed with Hitler's politics, homosexuals, and the Sinti and Roma people, commonly known as gypsies, were also hunted down and killed. So there are many different memorials that you can visit, and they're all worth seeing. We often forget that a lot of other groups were also uh, imprisoned and murdered just because of who they were. And the Roma and Sinti is the second largest group to be exterminated. This is a memorial uh, for the murdered Jews of Europe, also called the Holocaust Memorial. The architect who did it said that it was a place with no meaning because the Holocaust and just the fact that almost six million people were killed just for believing in a different way is almost impossible to grasp. And so he said, Peter Eisenman, that he wanted to create a place where we were not so much using our minds and our heads, but our body our, and our hearts to get a sense of, of what it meant. Um, so that's why it's designed to give you a physical experience. So after you've had a look and uh, a think about the World War II history of Berlin, uh, you can fast forward to after that and into the Cold War by visiting Checkpoint Charlie and the Topography of Terry exhibition. Checkpoint Charlie is somewhere that everyone wants to tick off because they've seen it in so many films over the years. But as a place to visit, it it doesn't have anything much to offer, really. It's kind of Disneyfied, isn't it? It's you uh, know, a kind of. It's super Disneyfied. There yeah. are people in dress up fifties uh, uniforms, and it's yeah, it, it's got it. It does nothing for me time after time. Shall we talk a little bit about the history of Berlin? Because I know when we first got to Berlin, we we knew a very little, but it was all mixed up, and it's a place with a ridiculously dense history. So let's just talk a little bit about how Berlin was formed from uh, from World War II. Sure, and apologies to any historians uh, who are listening yeah. who will uh, probably pick us up for glossing over some of the complexity. Oh, this is this is really really simplified, and yeah, please tell us if we're wrong. But this is this is how we understand Berlin history. So it starts back in the Middle Ages, and I think you have to to go back there to understand why Berlin feels like a whole bunch of separate villages with their own central central plazas, central squares, and why people in Berlin are so close to to their Keats or their their neighborhood. And uh, when they decided that Berlin was was going to be a city. They kind of pulled it together from, I think it was 37 different towns that were there and kind of drew a big circle around it and went, right, this is Berlin. But all of those divides of the old towns and uh, old districts still remained in place because they had all of the infrastructure for, uh, for streets and lighting and things like that. And that made it very kind of districtified. Yeah, that's right. So 
when you're staying in Berlin, you're not really staying in Berlin. You're staying in Charlottenburg or Moabit or, or some small region, some small neighborhood. And it'll have its town hall, it'll have its supermarkets, and you really can just spend all your time in that one area. Shall we fast forward up to, uh, to World War II? Yeah, so I'm sure you know that World War II, Germany lost. So the country of Germany was divided among four allies, USA, France, the UK, and the Soviet Union. Berlin was in the center of the Soviet area because it was the capital that was also divided up into four sections. So you had the, the American section, the French section, the British section, and the Soviet section. This resulted in two countries. There was West Germany, and you might hear that referred to as the Bundesrepublik Deutschland, or the BRD. And on the other side, you had East Germany, which was the German Democratic Republic, and you'll hear of it referred to as the GDR. So that gives you your, your, your country cut in half with the, the Soviet communist state on one side in the east and the, uh, the kind of democratic capitalist combination of USA, France and the UK in the west. That was also mirrored in Berlin and it was a really strange and, and messy arrangement because the borders followed these borders of the, the villages that we just discussed. Uh, so when you look at it on the map, you're like, why is there that big chunk hanging out of there and there's no straight lines anywhere? Yeah, so you end up with these two sections and, uh, yeah, the East Germans could cross over into West Germany. It was, it was no problem. But, uh, yeah, it was around this time that the, the Cold War started because two very different ideologies were basically head-to-head. Uh, in 1961, the Soviet rulers decided this was just not good enough. We wanted to – and because so many people were leaving – East Germany. They didn't want to be under communist rule. So they decided, no, we're not going to let that happen anymore. During the night, they built a wall. And it was just a, a basic wall with barbed wire and things, but it was later strengthened. And that was the Berlin Wall. But, uh, surprisingly, you might not know, Berlin Wall wasn't just a straight line. It actually circled the whole of West Berlin. So it was a, a big circle. Yeah. So it wasn't so much that the East Germans were being kept in. It was that the West Germans were all being uh, kind of corralled together because they're completely surrounded by the the Soviet rule. It was possible to go from one side to the other, but it was quite difficult to get permission. And there were only three points where you could do that. There were checkpoints, Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie. So that's where you hear about Checkpoint Charlie. Checkpoint Charlie just sounds so much cooler than Checkpoint Alpha. It's just not cool at all. So anyway, the wall came down in 1989, and the fall of the Berlin Wall marks the approaching end of the, the Cold War, which really came to an end in about 1991. And uh, Germany was reunified on October the 3rd, 1990, so a year later, basically. So obviously there's a whole lot more going on there, but hopefully that helps to orientate you around these issues and, and why there was an East and a West Berlin and how recently that has affected the everyday lives of people that uh, that you meet and also the the politics and everything from the design of the streets to the design of the architecture right throughout the city. All right, so let's move on to lunch. Uh, I would recommend that for lunch you have a doner kebab. A doner kebab. So you're telling me about Turkish food in Berlin, That's a right. city in Germany. That's correct, yes, a doner kebab. It's, uh, it's almost a symbol of Berlin. The doner kebab was actually created in Berlin, or, you know, it's, it's disputed, but it's commonly said that the doner kebab was created in Berlin by Turkish immigrants. Kebab meat was traditionally eaten on a plate, so they'd, they'd had kebabs for forever, but they just scraped off the meat and served it on a plate with sauces and, and salad. The idea of stuffing the meat into a pita bread and accompanying it with salad and sauces worked really well with the Berlin psyche, because you know these Berliners, they're pretty busy. So yeah, that's, that's where it came from. 
Neat. And it's a good time to mention the huge amount of Turkish people that immigrated into Germany uh, after the war who came to kind of rebuild and uh, work with the masses amount of money that uh, the West and America especially mm-hmm. pumped into the country to help it regrow and get back on its feet. Yeah, so you'll see a lot of Turkish people and people of Turkish descent around Germany. And a lot of the kebab shops are run by Turkish people and there are also lots of uh, Turkish grocery stores that sell really, really good fruit and vegetables and things like that. So it's great. So along with your kebab, uh, you can, of course, have uh, a beer. Uh, Germany is well known for them and mm-hmm. there's no lack. Some of the more different drinks you might be able to find, one of them is called Club Mate, which is a, a mate tea combined with sugar and uh, you're, you're shaking your head, mainly because it doesn't taste anything I, like mate. I don't like it at all. I mean, it's a typical drink, and our friend Adam drinks it all the time. It's kind of the, the drink of the, the freelancer in, in Berlin. There are a lot of them. But uh, I, I just think it's ridiculously sweet. But you do have to try it. I'd recommend that you try it. But maybe if you're with someone, get one to share rather than one each. If you think mate is sweet, how about your favorite drink, the rhabarbashola? Now, the rhabarbashola isn't that sweet because... What a shawla is, is half juice and half sparkling water. So it's as, you know, half as sweet as the juices, right? So I mean, that's, that's good. That's healthy. Apple shawla or apple shawla is probably the most popular one or the most common one. But I love rhubarb shawla, which is rhubarb. Oh, delicious. So a shawla is simply any, uh, any juice mixed with sparkling water. Mm-hmm. So we've had some lunch and uh, we've had some pretty heavy history during the morning. What's next up? Well, it's probably a good idea to visit the wall. Uh, the Berlin Wall is definitely worth visiting. And one of the most popular places to see it is at the East Side Gallery, which is kind of an outdoor street art gallery, but on the wall. So uh, we didn't get to visit it this time, but it's just it's just quite cool. It is. And uh, if you like street art, there's lots of, of colorful and sometimes provocative street art around and right throughout Berlin. But mm. this is a nice place where it all comes together. And it's nice seeing that creativity against the the hard, high concrete wall. Uh, if you're still around near Checkpoint Charlie, right by there is the Topography of Terror exhibition, which is a stretch of the Berlin Wall with lots of changing plaques that have history on it about what was happening during during the war and how the wall stood and everything. And there's also an indo- indoor exhibition. You can also go to the Berlin Wall Memorial, which has an indoor and an outdoor section. So it must be time for a bit of a break after all of this walking around Mitte. And one of my favorite things about Berlin is the range of coffees that are available, or the range of cafes that are available, and the range of coffees that are within them. Yeah, it's definitely a good place to stop for a break. And uh, there are a couple of Berlin chains. There's Einstein. What's the other one called? Uh, Balzac. Yeah. So if you want to support a local chain, you can go there or you can just choose any kind of cafe that you, you see. One of the cafe centers of Berlin is Kreuzberg. Kreuzberg and Prenzlauerberg are two of the very popular, very hip areas to be in. It has, uh, well, they have together a lot of independent clothing stores, art stores, and, uh, of course, good cafes. So just wander down Oranienstrasse in Kreuzberg and you'll see lots of cool street art and it's a great place to stop for a coffee. Yeah, lots of good galleries and, and little arty shops in that area as well. Yeah, we asked our friend Adam from Travels of Adam what he would recommend doing in that area and he said you have to go to the NGBK Art Gallery and the Vu store, which is a hipster store and cafe. So Vu, V-O-O. Mm-hmm. Nice. 
Um, and with your coffee, you have uh, a couple of options, I guess. One is the, the Berliner, uh, which Kennedy famously uh, said that he was one of. Yes. With Ich bin ein Berliner, I am a jam donut. Mm, delicious. Yum. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be a donut, but you can eat one. If you prefer not to have something sweet, then after your coffee, you can go and find a currywurst. What is a currywurst, Craig? Currywurst is uh, one of Berlin's other great street food inventions. It is a sausage that's cut up into small kind of mouthful-sized bits and then covered with a, a curry and tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. The word was that after World War II, it needed some meat, but the quality of meat available wasn't all that high. And so it was a good way to disguise how bad the sausages were by covering them in a, in a curry sauce. That's right. The quality has improved in some places. I wouldn't vouch for all of them, but it's still a great little snack to get for anywhere between kind of three to four euros. It's pretty standard. Sometimes for two euros if you're really lucky. Yeah, yeah. It depends on uh, what quality of sausage you're happy to eat. (laughs) So what about dinner? Well, if it's Thursday and you're in Kreuzberg and you like street food, if all of those factors combine, then you are really in luck because on Thursday at Marktal Neun, there is Street Food Thursday. And, uh, oh, it's the best. Isn't it the best? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, so they have all sorts of different stalls selling lots of street food from various different places. Craig got a, what was it, a um, Thai papaya salad that knocked his socks off. Usually these salads don't have anywhere near enough spice, but he had a sore mouth for a couple of days after that. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of things you can you can eat. If it's not Thursday, then uh, we recommend you go to a beer garden, like the Prater Garden, and uh, you can have sausages and pretzels for dinner and, of course, beer. Yeah, Berlin is a very multicultural city and there's heaps of great options around of all sorts of cuisines. But for me, in summer in Berlin, sitting down under the trees for a few hours, having a few beers and just some casual food is the perfect way to round off the day. In the evening, well, for us, we just hang around the beer garden. But if you're interested in a bit of nightlife, we can't recommend anything because we are not the people to talk to about that. But luckily Adam is, so you can visit travelsofadam.com and he has the word. Well, that brings us to our beds at the end of the day. So it seems like as good a time as any to talk about where to stay. If you're going to kind of attack Berlin in this manner and uh, tick off so many sites in one day, as well as get off the beaten path a little bit, then a central location for your hotel or hostel is really important. It really is. I mean, it won't be the cheapest option, but it's definitely worth it because if you're staying in a different part of the city, you can easily lose an hour just in travel. So um, a good rule of thumb would be from about one to two kilometers radius from Checkpoint Charlie. I think that would be quite a good rule of thumb. Yeah, I would say from the Brandenburg Gate, but uh, so much of that is the Tiergarten, which is a, a giant park. Don't stay in the Tiergarten. I think it's a bad idea. Yeah, you have to be pretty low on budget to uh, sleep outside in a, in a public garden of that size. <laughs> Transport is really easy and well-connected in Berlin with trains coming every couple of minutes. Uh, we've never needed to wait longer than 10 minutes, even when we're using the trains that are taking us well out to the outskirts. So a uh, day pass for Zone AB, which will get you absolutely anywhere, is uh, €6.90 at the moment. For three to five people, you can get a discount group ticket for uh, €17. You can obviously also get individual tickets, which are, I think, around 260 but you can get four tickets for €9, so that's really good value. 
Yeah, and they all get printed individually, so you can use them whenever. With all of the tickets for Berlin Rail, that's the S-Bahn and the U-Bahn, uh, you must validate them uh, when you begin to use them. And there's uh, validation machines on all of the buses and also at all of the train platforms. Yeah, you'll notice them. They're like little yellow boxes about waist height. Uh, so make sure you do that because otherwise you'll get into trouble. I'm part of a couple of Berlin groups on Facebook and it seems like every day there's someone going... I'm an expat and I just got fined 60 euros for not having a ticket on the on the metro. And it's like, yep, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah, you were saying you got checked several times when we were in Berlin this, this last time. I didn't get checked at all. I know. Well, you must have a very honest face. But, I didn't uh, see anyone, you know, because usually they come along and they check absolutely everyone on the train. Yeah, they sure do. But, yeah, I got checked at least three times. Must have been whenever I wasn't traveling with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm going to keep you, keep you with me as my good luck charm. Yeah, that's why we should stay together, right, darling? <laughs> Must be. That was Berlin, and what a fantastic time we had with uh, three weeks there. Oh, I really like Berlin. I kind of want to go back already, but, well, we've got new and exciting places to visit and also old and exciting places to visit. Yeah, that's right. We're uh, departing from Prague tomorrow, our time. So uh, by the time that you hear this, we will have already landed in the UK and we'll be spending about five weeks there in the Midlands, house-sitting, looking after a dog and a couple of cats and getting some work done. Yeah, we don't know anyone there, so hopefully we'll actually be able to get some work done there. Well, we do have people already planning to come and visit, like your brother Simon's planning on popping up for the day. Yeah, that's right. My brother's living in London. It's so funny at the moment. I keep getting messages from him because he's uh, exploring Europe. He sent me a message the other day saying, oh, where are you going to be in November and December? I want cities. We don't know where we're going to be in November and December, apart from Mexico and Cuba. So now he's talking about coming over to visit us in one of those countries, so that would be awesome. It should be great. And I wanted to talk about Prague and about some of the food that we've eaten, because oh. we'll, we'll do a Prague podcast, eh, yeah, next yeah, little got, while. Yeah. So just to give you, a, I guess, a taster, that feels like a bad pun. Is that a bad pun? It's pretty bad. Until you're getting old, we can start making puns like that. <laughs> um, well, the food here in Prague has been fantastic. And we've eaten some traditional food. We've eaten some fusion food. We've eaten food from the, the huge communities of like Mexicans, Colombians, uh, Vietnamese, Thai people. We've eaten at really nice restaurants with fantastic mid-range prices and out at our street food stalls. It's just been great, and it's all thanks to having a, a local friend here, Charlie, who's been living here for about what, 13 or 14 years. Yeah, yeah, and he's amazing. He's a real foodie, so he knows the best places to go, so it's wonderful. I'm trying to convince him to write a guest post for Indie Travel Podcast, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah, and we also got some great recommendations from uh, one of our guides here, one of our context guides, uh, Marek, who just sat down with us over a beer after the tour and started scribbling things down frantically on a, on a notebook. So we'll uh, hopefully be checking that, those out over the next 24 hours if we can find time. Where is the time? I, I think we can do one of them. There's always time for beer and, uh, and sausages, right? I think so. That's a nice segue into the fact that Context is our sponsor for this show. And we did two tours with them in Berlin. Uh, I went on the Architecture of West Berlin uh, tour. I almost said podcast there. <laughs> it wasn't a podcast. But uh, we walked with Harry through what was West Berlin, looking at the architecture, looking at the historical changes from uh, the end of World War up until now. And Harry's lived there for all of his life. So it's really interesting hearing the the stories that are so often portrayed from someone who's lived there and seen 
these changes and uh, developments. And Linda, you did another tour with Rasmus, eh? Yeah, I did one that was more of an introductory tour. And uh, I thought it was really good how Rasmus used his specialist knowledge in the tour. So his master's was in rhetoric and German society. And he taught us all about how Hitler actually made words change meaning and things like that. So that's something that you wouldn't get with another tour guide because, you know, how many of them have studied rhetoric? So that was really cool. That's what I'm really enjoying about these context tours is the the depth and specialist knowledge that the guides or docents, as they're called, are bringing to the subject. Everyone that we've worked with has years of experience in the field and or master's or PhD degrees. On that note, I think we'll say goodbye. So until next time, travel well.